0: Welcome to Speak & Destroy, episode 53. Speak & Destroy is a podcast about Metallica, and I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Mark Menge of Metal Allegiance and BPMD. If you aren't familiar with either of these two bands, you're definitely familiar with his bandmates, many of whom have appeared on Speak & Destroy in the past, including David Ellefson, Alex Skolnick, Mike Portnoy, and Bobby the Blitz Ellsworth. Mark has a number of cool Metallica stories. Including the time he jammed with James Hetfield and the night he played one of Cliff Burton's basses on stage as the late Ray Burton looked on. Remember, the best thing you can do to support this podcast right now is to go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and write a nice review and leave a five star rating. Check out the other shows in the Pop Curse Podcast Network, including No Prize from God and Pop Curse. You can find Speak and Destroy at speakanddestroy.com on all of the regular social media haunts. And you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. So here it is my conversation with Mark Mengi of Metal Allegiance and BPMD. This is Speak and Destroy.
1: My oldest brother, um, big music guy who's big into Priest and Kiss and, and all that stuff. He's seven years older than me, and I was little. I had to be eight, nine years old maybe. He probably was probably younger than that, and he handed me an LP of the Kiss Dynasty record, and I was like, oh, wow, look at that. That's cool. And, you know, you see the four faces on it and Gene with the blood, and then I listened to it, and I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um but the cover was cool. The cover grabbed me and, and I was like, I don't like this and then he handed me um Live After Death, Iron Maiden and I saw that cover. I'm like, this is awesome and he put that on and at that point, I was hooked Um and that's, you know, when Maiden became one of my, you know, still is one of my biggest inspirations. So, it, it was at that, that day. I remember it clearly. Um I was definitely young, around eight years old, give or take.
0: I love hearing about the entry point via the artwork and the imagery, because of course, you know those four faces of kiss, and yeah. obviously, you know, those Derek Riggs maiden covers are so essential and interwoven in the fabric of of heavy music. But I love kind of being reminded how,
1: yeah, it was how that really
0: pulled us in in so many ways. it was
1: it was always was always about the artwork. Even my first introduction to Sabbath, um as I got older. Um, I was rifling through the cassette bin at my local record store and I came across uh, Black Sabbath Volume 4. And I've heard the name Black Sabbath, but I never heard Black Sabbath. Um, And I bought that cassette based on the cover of Volume 4. I thought that was really cool, the way, you know, the yellow figure there and just the the wording and how – I was like, oh, this kind of looks cool. So I bought that um, solely based on the artwork and amongst many other records, solely based on artwork, not even knowing what was going on within the music.
0: So many, especially when we're following music scenes that we couldn't find on the radio. You couldn't really find regularly on MTV. If you knew yeah. which magazines to get, you might have some indication, but you still were, weren't really hearing it. And yeah, so many times I bought things based on the record cover, even even after I was fully immersed in.
1: Well, you know, the you know um, as I got older and more um, into you know religiously weekly buying music. Um, and I still, I still do to this, to this day, but I had a subscription to Kerrang magazine. And back then it was, it was a little pricey because it's coming over from England. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to wait quite some time for it. And, uh, so I had my subscription to that. I had a subscription to, um, later on hip writer for a little bit. Um, and a lot of those more mainstream, but Kerrang was basically my Bible, um, back then. And, you know, they featured the cool artwork and. You know, bands I I never heard of, I read about, and then I would go to Looney Tunes, my local record store, to pick up that record. So kind of like most people, you know, back then.
0: Yeah, I remember I used to just sit and look at the cassette cover to Peace Cells or Master of Puppets or Rain and Blood, and and those were covers where your imagination could really fill in so many gaps, because there was just so much to kind of trip out on, and I still, you know, I
1: still stare at the artwork. I'm still a vi- uh, very much a vinyl collector. You know, I never stopped buying vinyl, even through the '90s where vinyl was dead, and obviously CDs were the big thing, uh, to the early part of the 2000s and until now. I never stopped. So to me, <laughs> to me, it never went away, um, and I have a pretty extensive vinyl collection, um, to say the least. Um, and I buy it. But obviously, I love the sound of vinyl. I love the warmth of it. But the artwork, to me, it's all about the artwork. I like holding it. I like looking at it. I like reading every single piece of Winnier note. I like even looking at the record, the actual physical vinyl, to see the uh, the jokes they used to inscribe mm-hmm. within the uh, – The little
0: matrix. The vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: Maiden, we're kings of that. Maiden would do that all the time on, the, on their vinyls in the 80s. There's some funny stuff on there if you – if you have an Iron Maiden vinyl, pull it out and look at it.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know? And um, so I love all that stuff, and still to this day. You know, and it's funny you mentioned vinyl and, and records. Um, Metal Legions, we just donated uh, two tunes to uh, two unreleased tracks to Looney Tunes, the record store here that I, I grew up going to. They're shut down now, um, obviously, with the coronavirus, and you know they're non essential, of course. So they're shut down. So we donated music to them. And all the 100% of the proceeds were going, are going to their employees. And, um, and I actually just wrote a letter because I had something really cool made up for all the participants involved. It was kind of like a, a, a based off of a gold record plaque award. Mm. And I wrote a letter um, based on my experiences going to Looney Tunes as a kid. Uh, that was my first time meeting David Ellison was at Looney Tunes way back when. Um, mm. So I kind of wrote this letter this morning. So it's funny you mention that because you know, they're, they're fresh in my mind right now.
0: I love that. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I've even told him this before, but the first time I met David Ellison was a meet and greet on the Euthanasia Tour.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, 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 yeah, and this is similar. My first time was a Risk. When the album Risk came out, they did a midnight uh, autograph signing at Looney Tunes. And Looney Tunes then and even now are the king of the in-stores, at least on the East Coast. Mm. And they've had, you name them, they've been there and uh, they did a midnight signing at Looney Tunes um, when a record came out. They were doing something in the city, and I worked at Looney Tunes too. I worked there through high school and college. Uh, they hired me. I was there so much. They just eventually <laughs> gave me a job there. You're here and, anyway. You might as well put yeah, stuff Yeah, I'm here away. anyway, so go to, go to work. So <laughs> hey, Go, go ring that guy the, up. <laughs> yeah, and and that's what I did. I did that for what, four and a half years. Um, throughout college I worked there. and. Um, yeah, so that was my first time meeting meeting Dave and, and, you know, those record stores and looking at that artwork are the first time I ever got exposed to bands like Testament and Death Angel and all my, you know, I guess you want to call them peers or colleagues or whatever you want to call yeah, them. Yeah, uh, your
0: f- future bandmates.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, record stores and record shopping and that artwork is what, you know, how I became privy of them.
0: So where did Metallica enter the picture for you?
1: 1991, hmm. I, I remember the year, listening to Master of Puppets down the street, walking home um, from a buddy of mine's house as a kid, I remember he gave me the cassette, it was an ugly, ass ugly, yellow Walkman, cassette Walkman, I put in a cassette walking home, and I remember where it should take me about five minutes to get from his house to where I grew up, it took me about an hour and a half because I just kept walking. And I I listened to that cassette about three times in full that day. Um, It was the summer of 1991. And I didn't know the Black Album, and I know the Black Album just came out then. I didn't know anything else, but Master of Puppets was my first taste. And at that point is when everything changed for me.
0: Mm. And that was – when you say everything changed, was that – did that lead you to wanting to be in a band as opposed to –
1: it made me look at life differently. It made me look at music differently. It made me uh, understand what a bass is because you actually heard bass and mm-hmm. it was really well. Um, it made me want to be a musician. It made me, it just completely changed my outlook on life um, as I knew. It. And at that point in time, you know, I was a kid. I, what the hell did I know? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anything. <laughs> but it gave me a vision of what I wanted to at least aspire to try to be, not even to be. Just I am mean, I'm still aspiring to try to be um, to this day, but at that, that was, I remember, it was uh, July of 1991. Amazing. And I, 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 it sort of begs
0: the question, too, obviously when someone starts playing bass, um, you know, you decide if you're going to be left-handed or right-handed and you decide if you're going to play with a pick or play with your fingers. I can yep. only imagine that Cliff Burton was a big influence in your
1: yeah, style. yeah that, that summer it, it was a pretty crazy summer for me as, as a music fan because obviously you know years before that I got introduced introduced to maiden and, and you know like twisted sister being from long Island they were they were huge you know they were they were our beatles, twisted sister you know they they ruled Long Island, so bands like that even zebra um they're from Long Island. Twisted Sister basically ruled Long Island um, then. And if you even had an inkling of music, Twisted Sister was it. Bands like Zebra, even uh, Blue Rice The Cult from Long Island. Hmm. So, I, in Queen, you know, the first record I ever bought with my own money was Queen, and Night at the Opera, um, Cutting Lawns. But that summer is when I heard uh, Master of Puppets and I heard the bass and, and I just, I was automatically attracted to that. I was like, wow, what is that? And, and then listening to Orion never heard anything like that before mm-hmm. um and then i started digging into their catalog and then i really started digging into maiden's catalog and then i started really digging into sabbath's catalog and i was completely blown away that summer cuz i discovered all this music all within a month <laughs> and if you can imagine you know being this kid from long island and really and and listening to sabbath and maiden and all these bands for the very first time within a 30 day span i was blo- i was completely blown away um, and then that was the point, and um it, it was it always went back to Master of puppets. Master is still by far my favorite record of all time hands down period as to me uh nothing comes close to it um, and that was the catalyst for me you know that walk home and my buddy giving me that cassette and what should have been a five minute walk turned into literally hours. I just kept walking i, I it didn 't stop. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so that summer really changed everything for me. and that's when you know I kind of zoned in on my big three of geezer, uh Steve Harris, and Cliff Burton.
0: Yeah, who all have uh, while they're certainly distinct from one another and have their individual traits and talents, there's definitely a continuity between those three guys where you can you
1: can yeah stand. and I did you know, I didn't start playing until a few years later. you know, I just really at that point in time, it was absorbing. I, I was a sponge. I was absorbing everything and anything, um, and, and even at, at that time, you know, Pearl Jam was in that peak. Uh, they just hit. What do we just hit? Alice in Chains. All that, and I loved all that too. I loved Alice in Chains. I loved Pearl Jam. Soundgarden was huge. Um, so I loved that music, um, but Thrash is really where I just kept falling back to. You know, um, that's really kind of where I always just found myself going you know, falling, going back into that hole, if you will. There was always, you know, the Metallica and Anthrax and Exodus, you know, Slayer. Uh, I mean, all those bands. Uh, it just, that's where, really just where I kept going, even though I like all kinds of music, but it just found my niche there. That's what I really yeah. liked it, And that's what I like to listen to.
0: When did you first get the opportunity to see Metallica live?
1: 19 it was uh, Metallica Corrosion Conformity was opening up Nassau Coliseum what year was that
0: that was probably 97
1: <sighs> somewhere over there it was Corrosion opening for Metallica at the Coliseum I remember and that's when I was exposed to Corrosion I'm like this band's awesome mm-hmm. uh, I became a huge Corrosion fan after that um but that was the first time I saw Metallica it was in the round um at Nassau and I remember what they did um At that point in time, they were still finding that. Now, fast forward, it's years later, uh, where I was a huge Metallica fan. And, you know, they were still finding their own as far as image. They kind of left, you know, the long hair behind and and the thrash behind. Obviously, Load reload was all out at that time. Um, And and and
0: And by the way, that was a good guess on my part. I just looked it up. It was February 28th, 1997.
1: Is that the date you found I,
0: I, it? Yeah, I know my Metallica. <laughs> yep.
1: So there it is. Um, yeah.
0: There's. There's. Uh, I found some pictures from it too. I'll, I'll shoot over to you. But awesome.
1: Yeah, go on. And they did a Master of Puppets medley. They didn't play Master in its entirety. I remember they played Master into something else into. It was like their vintage mini set, if you will. It was a medley. And I was a little disappointed about that uh, because I wanted to hear the tunes. You know, I knew all the, you know, I, I went there to hear the old stuff like every, <laughs> like everybody else. And I wanted to hear it. It was a killer show, and they played a lot of the old stuff. But there were certain things like Blackened, I remember, and and Master, um, where they did this medley of sorts. And, and coincidentally, I ran into my then social studies teacher <laughs> at <laughs> the awesome. I remember I remember that clear as day too, and him going, "What are you doing here?" because I shouldn't have been there, and me going, what are you doing? He would, as he was double fisting two beers. I'm like, I won't say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so that was the first time seeing them, and I haven't missed them in New York since. Uh, and I've seen, you know, fortunately, I've seen Metallica all over, the, you know, all over the country, and even outside the country um, since then. But uh, that was my first time uh, seeing them.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, the, it, on that tour, they were doing that Kill Ride medley, which that yes. was, you know, with the exception of uh, I think like Fade to Black and. Of course, creeping death, like that was kind of all you were getting in that era, yeah, from the first two albums, and then even, uh, of course, they played the song Master of Puppets, but they were doing this like truncated version of it that would They didn't
1: do it in full. I, rem- I remember they didn't. Yeah,
0: do it in full. And, yeah, Yeah, uh, uh, you know,
1: and you know, know, since then I've seen Metallica whew, a lot. I mean, more so than any other band. Um, I would say Maiden's probably second on the list, but Metallica I've seen. You know, to both U.S. Big Four shows. Uh, I saw Metallica at the Apollo Theater, you know, what, about five or six years ago when I played at the Apollo, which was nice. unbelievable.
2: yeah.
1: I've seen him at the Coliseum many times, the Garden, the, the S&M show. I've seen them at the um, the Bowery Ballroom way back. I mean, I've seen <laughs> from very small Metallica club shows to the biggest of the biggest. Metallica. Yeah, dude. Yeah, the I The Ryan was... Festival. I mean, so many times I've seen them.
0: And a couple of times we were ships passing in the night because I was at the Indio Big Four show. Yeah. And I was at the second Orion Festival uh when I was uh you know, managing Dillinger and Ulshaw Parish who both played that year. And uh yeah, you and I didn't know each other yet, so <laughs> we didn't yeah. we, we didn't know to say hi. But um yeah, and I, I've also um so happy that I've gotten to see them in small rooms as well. I saw them play uh secret show during comic-con um in like a 1200 cap room in san diego i saw them do a charity show at the fonda in hollywood which is also like a 13 1400 capper um yeah and it's like you know and then i also saw them at the rose bowl uh just a couple years ago and it's like i get uh i'm as excited and and satisfied by either setting um but i love getting that sort of mix um, yeah,
1: you know, be, my three favorite, at least that's coming to mind right now, as a fan perspective, you know, I'll go into the professional perspective uh, shortly, but as a fan seeing them, uh, number three on the list was seeing uh, the, my first Metallica show, of course. Um, wasn't the best, but it's my first experience. Number Number two is seeing them at the Apollo Theater, which was unbelievable. I mean, they played a vintage. I mean, they did a thrash set inside the Apollo, it, it, and the Apollo is very small, mm-hmm. uh, very small venue in Harlem. And uh, and you know, thrash metalheads took over Harlem that night, and just walking in, and and just that atmosphere and what they they did two and a half, and they just threw down that night. It was it was insane. My favorite Metallica experience was Death Magnetic tour, Machine Head opening up. Mm. At that point in time, uh, it was at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey.
0: And, and did Machine Head do How Would Be Thy Name?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. I knew it. And <laughs> um, I missed I, – I, so I went to both shows at Prudential Center. I watched the full concert uh, the first night. To, uh, and after that, I received a text that uh, James wants to meet you. Um, can you and, and at that point in time, I was working for a company called Zoom – and we made a bunch of gear that he liked. And, uh, I guess rumor circulated that, you know, the dude from Zoom was there. And then I received a text, would you, can you come back tomorrow? And I was like, yep. <laughs> and,
0: uh. Not to be confused thought, with the, uh, <laughs> the video platform everyone's using.
1: Yeah, not the video platforming, uh, musical. <laughs> at that point in time, it was musical instrument. And, uh, so I remember calling my boss. It was like at midnight that night on the way home said, Hey, and it was a weekend. I had, and at that point, I had the keys to the building. I was like, hey, would you mind if I go to the building uh, tomorrow to Sunday, uh, pick up some gear for James Hatfield? Yeah, no, no problem. Just write it all out. And then that's what I did. So I, I went to my office that Sunday, picked up a bunch of stuff, picked up a buddy of mine who gave me that cassette. Okay. Oh, wow. Gave me that cassette. All right. And then another buddy of mine who worked at Sam Ash uh, Corporate. And we went to we went to Prudential Center, and I didn't tell them what the hell was going on. Hmm. I said, "You guys are coming with me. We're, we're going for we're going for a road trip," and we we'll, you know we wind up in Prudential Center in Jersey for the uh, concert. I walk in, I meet Zach Harmon, who is one of uh, Metallica's crew members, really good guy, awesome dude. And I go, "Here's all the stuff, et cetera, et cetera." So he put me in his room. He said, wait here." That room was their jam room, and yes. I was like, holy shit! There's all the there it oh there it is. There's James's amps, there's Robert's amps, there's Lars's drums, there's you know line of Kirk Waz hanging out there. And I was like, wow, cool. And I'm sitting there by myself. My two buddies are outside because I I couldn't bring them in. And um, I'm sitting in there, and then James just walks in, picks up a guitar and stuff, but doesn't even say anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a, like I'm not even there walks just starts playing and i'm like holy shit i'm getting like a private concert right now this is awesome and um he starts playing he looks at me and he goes pick it up and holy uh, shit and i didn't i'm a really terrible guitar player i could i could hack my way through and i asked him i was like would you mind if i play the bass instead he's like yeah sure so i played a bass and and i'm kind of like boom Boom. I'm like so scared to play. You know, it's like literally plucking a string, plucking it. And then, you're doing, and then you're, you're doing
0: the beginning to running with the devil
1: by accident. Basically, a half-assed version of the beginning of running with the devil. And uh, he's sitting there noodling. He stops, stops playing, and he starts talking to me about the gear. He says, hi, I'm James. This is my regiment." And I was like, hey, man, I'm Mark. Nice to meet you. Um, Start showing him stuff. And uh, and then he plugged in uh, this uh, uh, guitar device. Started playing. It's cool. Then he stopped. You know, 20 minutes go by. There's dead quiet in the room. And I don't know what the hell came over me. I started playing Orion.
0: (laughs) I mean, you might as well.
1: (laughs) He looked at me. He gave me this look of what the – is it who – just the the death look. The Hetfield death stare. (laughs) And just that, that – he just turned that head. He didn't even turn his body. He just turned his head. And I'm actually acting that out. You can't even see me, but I'm acting <laughs> it out. He, he turned his head and, and who the hell is this guy sitting there playing that bass, playing Orion in this room? <laughs> <laughs> but after about 10 seconds, he joined in and he started playing.
0: Holy shit.
1: And um, I got to jam Orion with, uh, with Hetfield in that room. I have no witnesses <laughs> to that. I have no recording of, the, of that. I have nothing in that besides the memory of it. Yeah. I do have a picture of me and James after all was said and done in that room, which I'll send to you. Yes, uh, you A photo of James. And <laughs> <I don't care. laughs> you better. Um, and uh, that is my favorite um, fan Metallica experience, if you will. I mean, that is
0: unbeatable. That is so yeah. incredible. It reminds me of a story that uh, one of Dave Chappelle's friends told about him, where they were, there's a comedian that was opening for him, and they were in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and this random bro recognizes him on the street and is like, "Oh my God, Dave Chappelle!" and and they you know they're talking to him for a second, and then the bro says, uh, "You want to come back to my place? I've got some great weed." And Chappelle and his buddy are like, you know what? We're actually out of weed. Sure. So they come to this guy's apartment and he gives him weed and he tries to wake up his roommate. His roommate won't wake up. And uh, Chappelle and the other guy leave. And as they're leaving, the kid yells, no one will ever believe me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, and I told uh, my buddy, John, who worked at um, he still does work at Sam Corporate. And my other buddy, uh, Chris, who, who I grew up with. I, I, you know, they got to meet all the guys. They got photos of all the guys. They were blown away. But when I told them what happened, they, they were just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Sure, <laughs> sure, okay. And I was like, I swear to God, I'm like, I swear to God, that's what happened. And <laughs> and then I reached in my pocket, you know, James gave me literally a handful of guitar picks, literally a handful. I was like, look, <laughs> and, they're like, and they're all Hetfield picks. I was like, here, look, take take like 10. I mean, literally, there's like 100 of them and um yeah that was pretty cool and you know another time which james was awesome uh about was at the yankee stadium big four show um the guys at esp sent me um and i don't think they make it anymore was a, a truckster guitar it's a black with like this road worn finish and uh james told me he's like yeah bring it to uh yankee stadium i'd love to see you know came up to see et etc cetera, et cetera. and they signed me that he signed the guitar for me he's hanging up and staring at it right now hangs up in my living room amazing yeah you know, so um yeah they they've been awesome man uh the, you know and, and now that I transcended from gear guy to musician dude you know it's um it's pretty surreal um which ta- especially over the last few, you know, I would even call it the last 3 years you know what's taken place between my connection with myself which is very small um to not only the bay area threshing, you know I still don't think I belong um, and I tell those guys all the time I don't belong <laughs> uh, <laughs> to my relationships, you know, from befriending Ray Burton. I became very close with Ray Burton um over the years i you know to uh, appearing in a murder in a front row documentary and and dealing and working with them and and talking to them and and helping them curate things and and you know that whole scene to you know playing in a band with all the you know all their friends of Exodus and anthrax and Death Angel and testament, you know et cetera. so. And there's a lot you know, obviously there's a lot more to it, but it's it's been pretty surreal. But, you know, the winch pin behind this whole thing is Metallica. You know, mm-hmm. it's started with Metallica, you know, back in the summer of ninety one and to this day as I sit here it's it ends with Metallica. Well it doesn't end, but it's still based on a catalog. Yeah,
0: it's full circle. And and uh, so many of the people that you've played with are also speaking destroy guests. Uh, Bobby Blitz has been on the show, Alex Skolnick, David Ellison, Andreas Kisser, uh, Phil Demmel is going to be on here eventually, um, Rob Flynn's done the show, and, and, and yeah, like you said, there is, there's this continuity, this through line where Metallica, love them, hate them, disregard them, wherever, whatever your stance is as a metal fan, they are the connective tissue yeah, as much as Black Sabbath and Zeppelin, uh, you know, for generations of metal fans, it's just well, Phil,
1: Phil Demo, he's the one um, who made the connection between Ray Burton and myself. Mm. Uh, Tell me that metal, story.
0: That was my next question.
1: Yeah, Metal Allegiance. We were doing a gig um, at the Grove in Anaheim.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we just released an EP called Fallen Heroes. It was an EP, three song EP. Um, we did an uh, Iron Fist by Mortarhead, Wife in the Fast Swine by the Eagles, and Suffragette City by Bowie. Uh, they re- those. Th- uh, you know, Glenn Fry, Lemmy, and Bowie recently just passed, and we came up with this idea just to do a tribute. I'm a huge Eagles fan on top of it as well. Um, I love Metallica, but I also love Eagles and, and Skinner and all that. And We'll transition into BPMD, the new project, in, in a little bit, which is based on that. But mm-hmm. um. You know, it hit me when Glenn Frey passed away, you know, because I was a huge Eagles fan. And I recently just saw Eagle, the Eagles for the first time ever um, at the forum in L.A., you know, to see the Eagles in their land um, was awesome for me. You know, so I was a huge Eagles fan and obviously Motorhead. I'm a huge Motorhead fan and um, and we're all Bowie fans. So we came up with this idea to do the CP. We released it. Um, you know, we released it and, you know, we carried on and Portnoy had the idea of doing the show. Where we're not going to play any M.A. music, we're not going to do. We're going to play songs dedicated to all of our fallen heroes. So we had like a three-hour gig planned. Um, Queen, Prince, you name it, we did it. Uh, We did Megadeth tunes. Where Marty and Elson reunited on stage um, in honor of Gar. Um, It was an epic, epic gig. Um, You know, Alice and Chains guys joined us. We did Alice and Chains tunes. We did Mother Love Bone songs, you know, metal band doing Mother Love Bone, where Charlie Benanti was playing keyboard to the Chloe Dancer. It was Charlie, myself, and Mark Ossigata, kind of like a little trio thing we did. It was not your typical MA show. Mm-hmm. Um, but the night before, Phil Demmel pulls me aside at rehearsal, and he says, hey, man, Ray Burton wants to come to the show tomorrow, um, and he has Cliff Space. They're displaying it at the ARIA Pro booth. And I, I, I laughed in his face. Go, okay. And I walked <laughs> – <laughs> and I walked away, right? And I was like, I, you know, all right. Um, and that was the end of it. He, I, I I don't know if you thought I was, you know, kind of politely telling him to go f himself or, or whatever. But I <laughs> I thought he was. I thought it was a, a joke, um, because it's not something you hear every day. You know, you know, you know. Here's this dude, his greatest, you know, inspiration and idol of bass playing in life is Cliff Burton. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, you know, Cliff Burton's dad's going to come bring him his bass. It's like a cruel joke, man. You know, so next day we're sound checking. Uh, you know, we're on, all on stage sound checking. And then, sure as shit, who do I see walk through the doors with a gig bag slapped over his shoulder? It's Ray Burton and wow. uh, one of his associates. And I was like, wow, look at that. And I just keep playing. And I'm in the middle of playing, mind you. Uh, they walk up on stage, around stage, go through the back door. And I see them appear backside. Uh, I'm on stage right, playing is my spot. And I see them hand the bag over to my tech. Um, and at that point, it was Willie G, who was Mustaine's. You know, I, sure.
0: I, I don't know him personally, but I know who he is.
1: Yeah, but Willie G was teching for me. And then I turn and I see him pull the bass out. And I see Willie's face. Uh, I was like, and he was like in like, his eyes. And it was just like, holy. So I stopped sound check. I just stopped playing. <laughs> <laughs> I walk over and I, I ignored the bass. And I just go to, to Ray. I was like, hi, Mr. Burton. My name's Mark. Um, if it wasn't for your son, I wouldn't be here right now, and this wouldn't exist. And he was just a big, big smile, gave me a hug. Um, and we talked for about 10 minutes, and I explained to him who I was, what what his son meant to me, what that music meant to me, what it did, and how if it wasn't for that, this entire band, the records we've done, the music I've written, all this would not exist um, if it wasn't wasn't for Cliff. And, um, and then he goes, play his bass. And I look at it, and there it is. I mean, I was like, "Holy shit!" And <laughs> so I pick it up. I pick it up, and I was again shaking, you know, because I was afraid to. What do we touch it? Um, and same string, same everything, you know. It, you know, it was, it was a rough. You know, it's alt. You know, so you know, I played it, and I plugged it in, and uh, and then Portnoy just, you know, he just counted in. and We did Disposable Heroes during sound check and uh, and it. Was, it, it it was definitely different than what I play. I didn't realize, you know, playing his bass versus any other basses. his bass is very hot, meaning it cuts through. And mm. I don't know what is in that thing to make that bass cut, but it cut like nothing else. I was like, This is wow, this is this is great. And you could just tell everyone staring at me. And it was an empty hall at that point, but everyone's staring at me playing it, and I literally sat I was sitting down because it had no strap, it had no nothing on it. So I was kind of sitting down and and playing it and and I was like just you know a flood of, of of thoughts are going through my head going you know thinking back from when I was a kid thinking all these crazy things and then I handed the bass over. Um, they they got a strap for it because they they didn't want me to put my strap on it. They you know, they needed to preserve it to what it is. And I told them whatever yeah you, you know, whatever it is fine of course. So after the sound check, we, um, I spoke to Ray for about an hour and a half. Um, I completely missed press. I was supposed to do press. I <laughs> missed it. You know, I was supposed to do all this stuff, and I just completely um, – you know, time time got away from me. And again, it was to when I was a kid You know, where I should have been home in five minutes, an hour and <laughs> a half. It was the yeah. same thing all over. It was the same thing all over again. And we spoke, and he, he was telling me how um, Cliff was a huge Skinner fan. I was like, so am I. I didn't know that. Yeah, Cliff was a huge Eagles fan. Shit, so am I. <laughs> you know, um, that, that bridge and in the,
0: that bridge in the Four Horsemen was uh, Cliff and Skinner. Mustaine fucking around.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, skinnered. totally, total Skinner. Yeah. Um, but we, we spoke about music and, and life and family, my kids, and, and just you know, talking them about my boys, and um, you know, it's just just talking, you know, just two people talking, and from that point on, we became pretty good friends and from there, and then that night. You know show goes on we're playing sets, you know sets going unbelievable Then it came time for me and we all did speeches at certain segments of the show talking about our biggest inspiration biggest hero Then it came time for me to speak about cliff Which I believe it's it's actually out there on YouTube and on a loudwire YouTube page where I talk about cliff I introduce Ray Burton Ray Burton comes up uh, talks about cliff and then we bust into disposable heroes And um, it was pretty amazing. We did the song. I was literally crying the entire time playing the song because, you know, you have a sold out crowd and you're playing close bass. And it it was, you know, it was definitely a top moment of my career.
0: Oh, my gosh, man. It's, It's so incredible.
1: And so not only good. that, Ray, Ray Burton took it upon himself to take a chair and put it on the stage. He didn't sit side stage. He sat on the stage like he was a member of the band, eyeing me down the entire time. And, <laughs> and this photo, hey, I'll send you all those photos. It's it's pretty awesome. Him just sitting there staring at me. And he was smiling. <laughs> he, he was tapping his foot. He was smiling. And uh, after the after the song, gave him a big hug, took off the bass, gave it back to Lily, and uh, that was that. So cool, man.
0: So cool. unbelievably cool. And that segues us into also, uh, talking, you know, a little bit more about metal allegiance. And I know it's a story you've told a lot and obviously one that I'm personally very familiar with, Yeah. but kind of briefly for people listening to this that may not know a lot about it. If you want to tell me a little bit about how metal allegiance came together and how that also then leads to this new group of yours, which recently signed a record deal of its own and is, uh, going to be putting some stuff out too
1: sure uh ma started with uh dave elson and frank bellow and it was called metal masters precursor um it was just a series of clinics just you know dudes getting together playing bass teaching nothing more than that you know and then we realized we, we probably hit the timing right because all these kids showed up to see that um fast forward i received a phone call from Charlie Benanti who, who saw uh, watched a video of this. He's like, Oh, this is awesome! It'd be cool to get in on that. I was like, Oh, yeah, of course, that'd be fun, man. You, uh, you Frankie, and Dave doing something. And uh, as I was on a phone, Mike Portnoy emailed me and I guess saw the same video. I guess it was a, some news article that just populated. Um, and he's like, Oh, this is awesome! I want to get involved. And I go to Charles, I was like, "Dude, Portner just emailed me asking to get involved." I was like, "Dude, check this out: two drummers, two bass players." I was like, "This could be awesome."
2: Hmm.
1: And, we, and we did it. The first one was in uh, our, it was in Cerritos, California. It was Frank, Dave, Mike, and Charlie, and the place was freaking packed. They didn't even know what to do. It was in a music store. There, there was thousands of kids out, so there was helicopters circling the store. They did not know what to do. And this was also a few, I think, a day or two before the indio big four show right after the revolver golden god award so i guess we <laughs> timed it pre- timed it pretty good indeed um and it was crazy and then i was like wow we got something here and then fast forward yankee stadium big four show we did it we did the first ever quote-unquote clinic in times square in manhattan at the best buy theater um and we did it there and we added uh who did we at kerry king philip Anselmo, i believe chris broderick and we had Anthrax open as uh, Satan's Lounge Band, their old, their old name. <laughs> and they opened uh, unannounced. So it was – and that was the kickoff to the worship music tour. Uh, so that was their first show on that worship music tour as Satan's Lounge Band. So we did it there and then it moved back to L.A. We had – and then again, we kept adding. Then we went to three drummers, got Lombardo involved and – you know, Geezer Butler jammed with us, and which again was a huge highlight for me, getting to hang out with, with, with Geezer and Steve I. And you, I mean, I think that we topped it at like 18 people at one time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was crazy. So um, I left. I left Samson and Zoom. I needed a. I needed a timeout. Um, I wanted to spend time with my kids. I, I just needed. I, I needed to get away. Um, and at that point, I had no intention of going back to music. I was done. I mean, I was mentally, I was done with music. I was completely checked out. Um, and I was just being a dad. And I still am, you know. Uh, it's, that's my number one priority, is just being a dad. So I left. I left the music business altogether. Um, you know, I wanted to go work at a normal nine-to-five desk job. That's what I wanted to do. Um, just because, you know how the music business is, man. It, it wears on you. you know, mm-hmm. It wears and tears on you. And at that level I was at with all these clinics and the metal masters and my other responsibilities, it was literally – it became a 24-7 job. I was never home and I was done. And and that's – I just – I was done. That summer, Elson you know, kept calling me. He said, man, you need to do something. You cannot just wither away like this. You need to do this. And Portnoy, you need – we need to do you – know, all these guys would just keep calling me. And I was like, nah, nah, I just – I don't want to do it. And then um, and one day I received a phone call from Dave saying that Megadeth uh, had to cancel off the first Motorhead Motorboat Cruise. And he's like, if we're ever going to do this, now's our time. I got us this gig. And I was like, Who, there is no us. <laughs> 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 he's like, and then I told him, I was like, listen, I came up with a name for something I want to do. It's called Metal Ouigians. Um I actually trademarked it uh, because I, I don't want to get screwed over. I trademarked this name. Um, and this, I want to, this is what I want to do. So I laid out my plan. He's like, good. Metal Allegiance playing motorhead motorboat cruise. We're done. So he puts, he puts me in tough, in touch with the promoter, um, of the cruise. And that afternoon we were booked and, uh, Metal Allegiance was born. What are we that day? I was a little going on the beach with my kids that day. I was in my kitchen with, you know, sandals on, you know, just gathering everything up ready to go to the beach. And I remember sitting there at the beach that day going, Dude, shh, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> yeah, I told myself I was uh, you know, I thought I was done <laughs> and it was actually the greatest thing that's, um, career wise that's ever happened to me. And, you know, I obviously have zero regrets with it. And then on that cruise is where we decided to write original music. We had those conversations, Mike, Dave, and I, um, it was like, let's write music together. Let's do this. You know, Portnoy is the one who urged it. Cause I guess he saw my, my notebook of all my lyrics and words and, um, you know, I was like, dude, are you what are you doing holding this? This is unbelievable. What are, you, what are you doing? You know, we need to get this out there. And we didn't have a guitar player. Um, and Alex, that's in-enter in Alex. You know, Alex jammed with us on the second gig on that cruise. I was like, Alex has got to be the guy. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. So Alex was in on it. And about a month or two later, we, the four of us got together, who's known as the Core Four, uh, at Portnoy's house for the first sessions. And we wrote the entire record in about four days uh, that first record and um it was mind well and again sitting there you know dave mike alex and me well you know who no one knows who i am outside of these guys or you know on the inside of the business and i'm sitting there with a bass in my hands and it's like this is crazy <laughs> you know it's mike portnoy who's mike portnoy and then mm-hmm. alex who's a world-renowned guitar player and, and dave who's like the thrash master of bass and yeah you know, so it was it was a lot for me, but that wore off in about thirty seconds when I screwed up a note and Mike just stared at me. I was like, "Get, get back on point, <laughs> get back <laughs> on point here." And you know, I wrote a lot of music and a lot of lyrics on that first record. You know, "Gift of Pain" with Randy. It's my music, my lyrics. I wrote those, co-wrote those lyrics with Randy. "Let Darkness Fall." I mean, they go on. You know, the songs I wrote on that record go on and on, and the lyrics. You know, "Can't Kill the Devil," "Pledge of Allegiance," you know, "Let Darkness Fall." Uh, can't, you know, dying. I mean, all these songs, they just they flew out, man, and uh, and that's really where M A. That's the long story of where M A. started and stemmed from, and here we are, two records and EP, many shows and many crazy <laughs> years later. Um, that's where we are. Amazing.
0: And then there's uh, you know, obviously some people that you collaborated with pretty closely, in M A uh have now formed this new thing with you tell me yep. about the the impetus for that and sort of the you know stylistically and everything what distinguishes it from ma and um how the idea for this all came about
1: West summer uh right after the fourth of july um i was sitting in the backyard with my kids and my backyard I, had a, I have a fire pit you know one of those cool fire pits. You just sit back there and I like, you know, once it's nice, I love sitting out there and just, you know, relaxing. You know, I told my son yesterday, I, I if I could just kind of be in the sticks of Montana and be isolated and just kind of peace and no drama, that's where you'll find me. Yeah. <laughs> so my baggage, kind of what I set up back there. Fire pit, I were paid, I'd just relax out there and uh, listen to tunes. And then uh, a Saturday night special came on, Leonard Skinner's Saturday night special. And my son goes, you know, you guys should play this. And I believe he meant, M.A., and obviously that's not meant, you know, M.A. is a thrash band, we kind of are established of what we do, who we are, what we write, and then I just kind of, you know, let it go, and then the the song's playing, and I'm hearing um, these drum parts and and these guitar parts, and what what could be, I have an idea for the song, all of a sudden, as it's going, I'm hearing these double bass parts, the the rhythm chunks, and, and I'm hearing all this stuff, and then a light bulb went off, and I, you know, I just without even thinking called up and I was like, hey man, I have this idea. Um, we should, you know, get together and cover some of these tunes. What do you think about it? He's like, I love it. You know, he's like, we could do Cactus and Mountain and Scanner. And he just started rifling off these nice the, these these uh, bands. And then who can we get? Who can we get to play drums? I'm like, I know somebody. Get <laughs> <laughs> uh, up Portnoy. He's like, oh Christ, not another band. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but he agreed. Um, he agreed only just to be the drummer. That's it. He doesn't have any other responsibility. Right, right. Just yeah. be the drummer. And I was like, cool, man. Um, that's all we need in this. You know, you know, Butz and I got this. And, um, and then we called demo. Demo was in. And then literally three days later, we all found ourselves in Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, uh, arranging and, and putting together this record, um, which is, now called BPMD for Butch Portnoy Mangi Demo, and the name of the record's American Made, and we, um, the the rules were we each get to pick two songs. They have to be a band from the '70s, and they got to be an American band. The music had to be released in the '70s, and you got to be American. Mm-hmm. And so we each picked our two songs, and we had two community songs that we get to argue about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's what we did. You couldn't argue others' picks. So if I pick these two songs, Mike or Phil, you can't argue. Even if you, if you hate the song, you can't argue it. That was the rule. And luckily, we all love the songs we all picked. So there wasn't, wasn't a single argument there. And um, What were your yeah, uh,
0: for, What were your two picks?
1: Uh, Saturday Night Special, of course, okay. um, from Skinner and Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers from ZZ Top.
0: Nice. We, uh, and we have that documentary everybody's watching right now on Netflix. Have you seen that?
1: Oh yeah, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I, I some... I've got it in my queue. Everyone keeps telling me to watch it. I got I got to get to it.
1: Well, you know, over the years, I became friends with Billy Gibbons on a whole side note. And I'm a huge ZZ, you know. I love all that music—ZZ Top and Skynyrd and Allman Brothers and I mean all that shit. I mean, I love it. And uh, it's a whole different perspective. And I'm a I'm big as far as um, groove. I need to hear a groove going on. You know, I need to I need to kind of feel that. Even Motown stuff. You know, James Jamerson is one of my big inspirations on bass and. Just I need to feel groove, and that was one of the rules on this record. If we alter these songs, they have to remain groove. They just can't be static thrash. Da, 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 da. It can't be that. You know, it's got to be very. You know, we got to heavy it up and do our thing and put our spin on them. But we got to deliver that groove, which I th- I believe that we did. And um, yeah, so we all had our picks. Um, I actually sent our version of Beer Drinkers to Billy Gibbons, who wrote us a quote. Uh, for nice. it. he loved it. He loved it. He was like, "Wow, this is this is different," <laughs> you know. And uh, Phil Demmel's actually singing lead vocals on that song, believe it or not. Demel does all the uh, Billy Gibbons vocals, and Butch does all the Dusty Hill vocals. Amazing. It, it, which is awesome. It's one of my favorite songs in the record. And um, shortly after we we parted our ways, and we went to record. You know, I recorded my parts, and we all did our thing. And um, within one listen, Napalm Records signed it. And um, which was another shock. <laughs> so here, here we are again, you know, um, you know, starting this venture up, which is was meant to be fun, man. And, and that's all this was. It's not a band. It's not like we're going to go out doing six month tours. And it's not was never meant to be that It was meant to be four just four friends getting in a room jam and making a cool record that that's really all it was meant to be. Um, you know, it's not released yet. The records, uh, the record comes out. I believe in June. I think. Not sure. Somewhere around there. Um, I know the first single is going to drop really soon, um, and we're going to begin that cycle. But Napalm, Napalm is treating it like a like a real band and like yeah. a real release, and we appreciate that and we love that they're doing that because it's making us focus now. Going, this is for real. You know, they they they're invested in this, and we need to. You know, obviously we invested a lot of time into making this record, and um, we had Mark Lewis mix it well yeah you know, he was blown away by it too he loved it and you know again that's not his cup of tea of mixing things you know mark does Whitechapel chapelpel right, Chapel, right. You know, metal allegiance and this and that so you know we have all these people invested so we're gonna we're, we're going 100 percent we're gonna go full throttle on this record um you know and Bobby is really taking the reins on this which is awesome um love working with him and uh that should be a podcast for another day because anytime I talk to him it's comedic hour and oh yeah
0: yeah, I've we, done uh, uh, I've done a couple Overkill bios over the years, and uh, you know I've gotten to know Bobby a little bit, and uh, Zeus, my producer client, uh, mixed the last Overkill record, and uh, and then obviously Bobby's been on the show, and I mentioned all of that because as you can already guess, every single one of those experiences and conversations was an
1: absolute blast. Oh man, you if if the world laid eyes on our text thread, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Yeah, it would be bad. Um, but he's, 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 be, he's become a good friend of mine. And that stemmed from MA, you know, um, he sang on a song, Mother of Sin. You know, the song was, the music was written. You know, we delivered him a track and he agreed to do vocals. To, I wrote all the lyrics to that song. I go, these are my lyrics. Um, feel free to change however you want to fit. And then he asked me, he's like, Hey, man, would you mind if I change a few words, maybe a line or two, just to kind of fit my vocal style? And I'm like, Absolutely. Then we started collaborating. And I was like, wow, we kind of had this thing. I was like, this is really good. You know, we have a really good collaboration here. And then we, um, you know, he changed, you know, good portion of the lyrics. It was about, it was about a fifty-fifty song split. Now I was like, I love this. This is great. And we really hit it off. And he did a bunch of MA gigs, and we've always had a blast. You know, one of the things MA always does is when we do our annual January Anaheim show, we rent a house together. We do an Airbnb. Um and we all stay together, so it's like heavy metal summer camp <laughs> if you will. And it is it's just I mean, it's nothing but laughing the entire time. You wake up laughing, you go to sleep. It's just full on comedy. And uh and Bobby and I are usually the ringleaders of the comedic uh approaches in that and we just became really good friends. So we were bound to do something together and, and this happens to be it for right now and um yeah, we're having a blast. And the same thing with Phil, man. You know, he's an awesome dude, an awesome player. And what I what he told me, which I didn't know, this is his first time recording rhythm guitars in about fifteen years, which I had no idea.
0: Yeah. They do they I, I think Machine Head did what Metallica has done on a lot of records too, where the the lead player comes in and plays the solos and that's it. I think a lot of yep. people don't know how many bands actually work that way, which is
1: Testament, you know, Alex will tell you, he hasn't weighed, you know what does he do with with testament he comes in he plays the solos and you know see you later have a nice day um he you know now i think on this last record he actually has some songwriting credits on it but the last bunch of records alex i don't even think he wrote on those tunes if memory serves me correctly um and he sure as hell didn't play any rhythm guitar that's 100 percent eric and and they know that and alex is okay with that and this, the way Testament is, Alec, you know, Eric is – he's the rhythm guy. He's he's him and Chuck. Testament's him and Chuck. And that's well-established out there. And Alex is more than okay with that, which is awesome. Um, You know, with MA, it's all Al- Alex's rhythms. Mm-hmm. You know? He's the guitar player. He's the <laughs> yeah. guitar player. You know, he's the lead soloist. He's the rhythm guy. He's everything. So – Um, you know, so, you know, everyone finds their own niche and in Demo's case, I didn't know he didn't, I knew he wrote a lot of machine head record, especially Mm -hmm. on the blackening album and, and all that. I just didn't know he didn't record a lot of it. Um, so I learned that and then hearing what he did on this record, he'll be the first to tell you, these are some of his favorite guitar tones, rhythm tracks and solos he's ever recorded. He said, so, which is crazy to hear that. Um, you know, so that's basically how BPMD started and where we're at right now. And we're, you know, getting ready to unleash the the campaign. We just put the word out that we signed to NAPOM. That's really yet. Um, and you know, within the next week or two, uh, I think two weeks is when the campaign is really going to take off. And unfortunately, we're all quarantined at home right now <laughs> due to this uh, coronavirus, COVID stuff. You know, which sucks, but it's also a good time to be creative as well. If you can find creativity Indeed. within the, within a negative time. And, um uh, and that's what we're doing. And, um, you know, but e- even it would be PMD again, you know, with demo demo, introduced Ray Burton. It's just, again, it all comes back to Metallica.
0: <laughs> it <laughs> yes.
1: all just circles back.
0: Um, which, uh, brings me to my next question, which, uh, about, uh, land the plane for us. Um, it's one thing to do. I already know master puppets is your favorite Metallica record. And it's one thing to do favorite Metallica songs, but given that you're a bass player, given that you played one of Cliff's bases and you had that relationship with the great late Ray Burton, rest in peace. Um, I want to pick your brain about favorite riffs. When you put on your bass and you're warming up and Metallica songs start coming out of your fingers, you know, we talked about Orion, um, what are some of your favorite Metallica riffs?
1: Uh, Leper Messiah, that's like a staple in an MA set now. I don't know why. Um, it's not the most intricate song. There's different, you know, some timing, but that's you know, you, you bust into those opening chords. And that it's a five count, and then you just bust into that. It's just the crowd. You always goes nuts mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, so that for sure, <laughs> believe it or not, uh Justice for All. I love that record, even though there's no bass on that record. I absolutely love it, and uh, I'll play riffs to Blackened and uh, Dire's Eve and Hey. Uh, my my Augusta. my
0: understanding is that Jason Newstead loves that record, and uh, and you know, and he has a co-write on Blackened, so it's uh, you know, he he's he's I've seen him say in interviews that he doesn't think the record needs to be remixed or remastered.
1: Because I don't think so either. We're all, I,
0: I mean, if any, if nothing else, we're all we're all used to the way it sounds, and that's the way yeah. it sounds. That's you I know. could
1: imagine. I could not imagine hearing those songs any other way now because they're so ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine all of a sudden hearing that. And it, it, when and,
0: and when people do these remixes on YouTube, which I appreciate the experiment, but it's always like you know, Flea is playing bass in Metallica, like because it's so yeah, over the top. You can't like, do it. I'm going to add so much it. bass, you know, and it's like. Yeah, it just it is what it is, and we know what those songs sound like bass live, because we have endless um, live recordings out there. And uh, yeah. and even
1: if you listen, you go to a show, a Metallica show, and you're and you're listening to those songs. You don't really hear the bass all that much in a live setting. Tell me that. Tell me any song off In Justice for All that you've actually heard the bass Claire's day in one of their live performances.
0: I, you know, I guess it depends on which bass player I'm we're talking you about. You can't. Go back, go yeah. watch
1: YouTube, go watch Trujillo, and tell me where the mix is on that bass, <laughs> on those songs. It's low. It's not, you know, it's not like songs off Master or Ride or even Kill 'Em All, Black, all the other stuff. It's definitely lower. Um, and I think that's, I think this is my opinion. Um, it's by design because, again, I can't imagine those songs. Uh, being done in any, uh, any other way, and even in MA, you know we, you know MA set right now is probably a 50-50 split of MA originals and covers, and we get extra time. We, do, you know why don't we do songs off the Injustice? And I'd love to, but again, I'm afraid to play those on bass because <laughs> you know I don't want to not only screw it up, but I don't know what the hell it's going to sound like because none <laughs> of us have true none of us have a true definition of what this is supposed to be. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't want to be that guy. And, uh, you know, it, it, even, you know, Portnoy all the time, man, he's always saying, man, we got to do Anastasia in, into Whiplash. I'm like, I'm not playing it. I'm <laughs> yeah, not doing it. Sacred ground. I, can I play it? Yes. Have I played parts of it? Yes. Live? I've done parts of it live. Will I do the whole thing into Whiplash? I won't do it. You know, because God forbid, I, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy where it's on YouTube. Look at this, you know, hack job. Um, yeah, you know, that's reserved for Robert Trujillo, and uh, he. No one. Do, and right now, no one does it better than him. You know? so. Yeah, uh,
0: and he does it with with reverence, and they turn that part of the set into a tribute to Cliff. Yes. And, yeah, I think it's that's, I think it's cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so yeah, so uh, any other riffs jump to mind?
1: Croup and death, mm. uh, definitely. Croup and death. Uh, Metal Militia is, and that riff I love playing it. Love playing Metal Militia. Um, Phantom Lord as well. You know, right now I'm kind of in the kill them all phase. <laughs> I go through my phases.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and when I listen to Metallica as of late, I usually find myself going to kill them all. Um, and a lot of those riffs within there. So that's kind of, you know, if I start practicing here or just kind of start warming up, or, you know, it's usually like Phantom Lord, Jumping the Fire, Metal Militia, um, a lot of stuff like that. I love it. That stuff
0: is enduring and never, never gets old.
1: Um, think about it man they were what 19 18 19 years old when they wrote that so, insane. That record. so insane. i mean it, it's amazing I, think about that and those songs still stand up today as the quintessential thrash records Kill 'em all bonded by blood or probably you know rain and blood you know th- those records Kill 'em all though it's just again it's just it's, for me my personal opinion is it just sits at top man and um you know, I don't know if that's my ears or my preference, but the riffs, the the songwriting, you know, and that's um, it's, it's definitely, you know, in my opinion, the, the best thrash record. You know, I don't consider Master really a thrash record. They, it's a little thrashy. They got away from it a little bit um, and they created something else. They, they created a whole new metal genre um, with Master, you know, and you see you see elements of that in Ride the Lightning Ride the lightning is a mixture between Killem All and and, and Master and you see the direction they go. So, um Yeah, so I'm kind of a an interesting Metallica fan, if you will.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what's amazing too is that each one of those records you mentioned, if if any one of those records existed in a vacuum and was the only thing that the band had ever done, they would still be monumental, massively influential classic essential records
1: (laughs) you know same with the black Black album yeah justice for all as well yeah those two to that mix if you know and believe it or not listen to load and reload if it had any other band name on it those records would be freaking amazing
0: i i I, I love load and reload and that that's that's come up on the podcast so often i'm not gonna i I can hear people rolling their eyes as i bring it i know
1: they're good records i'm a fan they they're good records you know, again, '90s '90s was a weird era, man. <laughs> we all know that it was just an interesting time. The "Outlaw
0: Torn" is a top ten Metallica song for me. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And if you wow. want, and if you want to talk about uh, bass, "Outlaw Torn," "Bleeding Me," some of those "Load and Reload" songs have some of the best Metallica bass performances. Any bass player, any record, um, are on there. So, and there's even, uh, and I only realized this recently. I want to say maybe it was the Woodstock 99 performance. There was some performance from that era that I watched where uh, Newstead plays some of the bass parts in, I think it's bleeding me with his fingers. And that was, really? that was an interesting semi-recent revelation. I'll always learn something new about this band.
1: You know what song I love, man? Um, and this is recent. I heard it on, um, on the radio, believe it or not. on One of the uh, serious XM channels was don't tread on me. And, I remember just turning it up, and I was just like, "Oh, this, this is fucking heavy, man! Listen to mm-hmm. this." And I was like, "I really—I mean, I love the song." And now I love the song, you know. Um, you know, a lot of those Western cuts on a black album, like "Holier Than Thou." You know, I love that song. Don't tread on me. You know, a wolf the never. Yeah,
0: God that uh, failed.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just like this is some. This is heavy shit. Now, mind mm-hmm. you, this is—I I like it. I like it a lot. Don't tread on me. It's probably my favorite song in that record.
0: I remember yeah. uh, back at the time, you know, when the record came out and everybody was, was saying, you know, they get called sellouts at every turn. I mean, all the way back to a ballad being on Red the Lightning. But when uh, the Black Album came out and people were like, oh, they're still, they're not heavy anymore. I remember seeing this interview with Kirk Hammett where he was like, have you listened to Sad But True? Well, I they, know. Like if, you, like, if you hear that riff in Sad But True and you don't think it's heavy, you don't know what heavy is.
1: You know, because people are... Uh, you know, they have like nothing else matters in the head or the unforgiven. And, and then obviously the commercial success of enter salmon, it's, you know, if you put those three songs away for a minute and they're great songs, but if you put those three songs, you know, listen to sad, by true, uh, Sad by true, wherever I may roam, listen, wherever I may roam is a heavy tune too. you know, um, again, it's a great record. And, and it shows the times as well, and it shows that it shows a band that could move away and they could develop their sound into something else, you know. And Indeed. little do people want to believe, you know, the Black Album still sells that. What that, you know better than anybody. <laughs> you know? I do. Yeah. How many records do they sell a week of the Black uh, Album? Between two and to this between
0: day? two and three thousand a week, still to this day.
1: Still to this day. So you know, it's so all the naysayers, you know what? Sorry, guys. <laughs> you know, it's you know. They, they knew what they were doing um and if they didn't know what they were doing they sure as hell did a damn good job finding their way and um you know but again kill them all set it up and they just went from there they didn't want to be the same band you know uh, band you know bands like Motorhead wanted to be the same band yeah ACDC, AC- 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 AC-
0: motorhead yeah which is which is great in and of itself but I also yeah. but I love that we have uh yeah bands like Metallica that reinvent themselves while keeping a core element of Of what's pure, and I love that.
1: Yeah, and we—I know we got in shit. You know, MA got in shit between because we did a a shift in sound between MA one and MA two, as far as the songs go. And it's just you know, to to me, it's developing. You don't want to do the same song over. At least I know I don't. I don't want to play the same song over and over. You know, it's just you know, as a musician you want to see, you want to see your creative reach you want to see where you can go where you could take a song how can it develop uh, musically and lyrically um, you know in Metallica I would like to believe they're the same way you know in, in knowing those guys you know their their personalities they're not going to do the same thing and they're going to push the envelope um, for their own creative sake you absolutely know, so, and i've um- never They've never followed a trend, Metallica. They've always been a leader. They never followed anybody. They did what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it, when they wanted to do it. And that's never going to change.